You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, today we're continuing on in our study of the Gospel of Mark. If you're following along at home or in your car, we're in Mark chapter 5. Today we're going to cover verses 21 to 43. I'm on with Ross and Eric. And guys, today we're going to get a two-for-one. We're going to get two women. One is a girl, one's a woman. And we're going to get two healings. Jesus is going to be um, on the way to perform one healing, and then he gets interrupted. This powerful story, very moving, very emotional, meaningful story. And so we've got a two-for-one today. And what we're going to be doing today is we're going to see that they're, they're really parallel healings. We're going to look at five different things in these two stories. It's kind of like looking at, maybe you've played this game before online, it's kind of like looking at these two pictures and you have to find the similarities or you have to find the differences. We're going to do that in our passage today. So we've got a ton of ground to cover. So to get started, Eric, why don't we just start by reading this whole text real quick and then we'll go back and we'll show where these parallel, where the parallels exist in these two stories. Okay, Mark chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 21, going to 43. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the, in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. 
And then he told them to give her something to eat. Now, again, if you're listening to this at home, maybe you read these two stories and you don't see the connection between the two. We want to just take a minute to walk through these five parallels that we see and the significance of these parallels. And certainly this is something that that the author Mark had in mind. This is probably one of the reasons that he makes sure to put both of these healings together. And the first one I think is obvious. This is something that really brings it home to most of us as we read this story. It's that both of these stories are stories of desperation. Ross, why don't you walk us through that and let's start with the the little girl. We're gonna, we'll start with the girl and the father and then we'll also talk about the woman. Talk about the desperation of this father. Yeah, and I would ask our listeners to think about as we talk about these, they're not just abstract situations, they're human situations. I would ask our listeners to think about when have you been desperate to see God work in your life? When, what kind of situations have you been desperate about? Now, these two situations are both uh, situations of physical healing. There's physical illness um, involved, and, um, and certainly that can make people feel desperate. But as we look back at Jesus' interaction with people throughout the Gospels, we know there's a lot of other kinds of desperation as well. We'll touch about on that in a minute. So this father, uh, he comes to Jesus. His, his daughter is dying. And he comes to Jesus in desperation over the, the prospect of his, his little daughter dying. And so he, he just, just needs, needs God to do something. He needs something to happen, something to change. And, this, and while Jesus is walking to the guy's house, Jairus is his name, then this woman comes up in the crowd and it says that she had heard about Jesus and um, you know she had been suffering for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd, she'd suffered from so many different doctors and never had gotten any help, had only been, had to pay more and more money. She'd gotten worse in fact and I know, I know our, our listeners can, can relate to the situation like that where you've, where you've sought all kinds of different help and you and you poured all kinds of resources into it and it's never gotten better it's only gotten worse well those are the two situations that again they're about health and physical needs but but again jesus met a lot of people in mark chapter one a group of people desperate for a purpose in mark chapter two a man who was desperate to be forgiven of his sins before god um, he met a, a per- people who were desperate to be set free from spiritual forces that controlled them. He met people desperate for food. He met a man who was desperate to inherit, inherit eternal life. So there's all kinds of different aspects of what this can mean um, in our own lives, but it's our desperation that drives us to seek Jesus and to seek his solution. Yeah, and you know, if we talk about what does their desperation look like, I don't think we've hit that yet and so for each one of these characters what they actually did to show how desperate they were if we talk about you know Jairus the synagogue leader okay so he he's probably pretty high up um, in Judaism right he's he's probably uh, very acquainted with the sect of, of the Pharisees and so for for this guy who's the teacher at the synagogue, um, who's teaching the Torah and, and well-versed in all the laws, just like the Pharisees were, 
for him to go to this Jesus whom the Pharisees have already been rejecting and, and, and claiming that he's blaspheming. We've already seen them say that he does his works by the power of Satan. Okay, uh, Mark wrote that down for us. And yet this guy is, is basically parting from his, his circle of, of his faith community. He's so desperate that even though he knows he's going to be uh, probably ousted or outcasted or, or even, you know, charged, you know, with, with, with some kind of breaking the law, he is so desperate that he goes to this Jesus and says, you know what, I know you can, I, I believe, I'm so desperate that I've heard what you can do, and, and I'm going to put all that stuff aside, uh, what people have been saying about you, because my daughter needs your help. That's, that's desperation to, to uh, be judged by his community and the culture and society and to ultimately not care and to be desperate enough to do that. And then, you know, if we think about the, the, the woman's situation where she was so desperate that she just, she just wanted to touch him. And so who knows how far she traveled, you know, nobody, I don't know if we know the story about how far she came from, but she'd spent all of her money. She's done every kind of, you know, worldly solution that's out there possible. Um, and finally has got to the end of a rope, you know, who knows if she was thinking about, I can't take this anymore. And so if this thing doesn't work, right, uh, if this doesn't work, but yet she had enough um, desperation to get to the point where I'm going to seek out this Jesus whom I've heard about, and and he he must be the one, right? So she she touches his garment. I mean, and for her to do that, I mean, uh, might have been disrespectful, uh, among many other things I think we'll get at later in some of these similarities. But I think, again, going back to the application, you know, for you and me, for, for maybe our listeners here today. Um, how desperate are you? Uh, what, what, when have you ever um, reached the end of your rope and said, I don't know if I can make it anymore? And maybe you're a believer here today, and that's what, you, what brought you to Jesus in the first place. Uh, many people in our churches, including myself, my own life, it took a desperation in my own life, you know, struggling with different sins and, and couldn't quit and addictions and things like that. And, and it was finally when I was, you know, at rock bottom, the end of my rope where I finally came to a place where it's, I need Jesus or I don't know what else can help me because I've tried everything else. Yeah. InterVarsity Press Bible background commentary says this about the woman. It's really helpful for us to understand this because we don't necessarily today, 2,000 years later, understand what this would have meant for this woman, why she was so desperate. But it, in, in the commentary, it says that since she could not bear children in this state, the, and Jewish men often divorced women who were incapable of bearing children, this woman probably had never been married, or if the sickness began after marriage, she had been divorced and remained single. And in a society where single celibate women could not easily earn a lot of income, the illness affected virtually every area of her life. So today, you know, we might think about a woman today in a situation like this, thinking it 
that this would be just a physical problem, but it was so much more in her day 2,000 years ago. It was a physical problem. It was a social problem. It was a financial problem. We're going to see in a little bit that there are spiritual implications of her illness. So she, so she was that desperate to enter this crowd and, and really to break the rules. And it, it makes me think about people today and how, you know, faith healers are, 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 are uh, attended probably by people who aren't just Christians. You know, faith healers are, are, are the reason that they draw crowds is because people are desperate today as they were 2000 years ago. And it's, and it's still the same today. There are plenty of people who are desperate, maybe people who are listening even right now. So that's number one. Number two, the number 12. Eric Ross, walk us through this because the number 12 shows up in both of these stories. And probably for modern listeners, they would say, what's the big deal? Why would Mark even include that information? Yeah, that's interesting. It's helpful to notice, even to notice that it, there's something there. But in, in verse 42, it talks about the girl, says she was 12 years old. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. In verse 25, where it talks about the woman in the crowd, she, she had suffered for 12 years with this constant malady of, of bleeding. And so both have this number 12 associated with them. Um, so that, that's interesting. Is, is that just a coincidence? Uh, probably not, because of the meaning of the, of the number 12 in Jewish culture. It, it symbolized restoration. It symbolized a covenant relationship with God. God's ideal. It sort of symbolized the ideal of God's purpose. So that's why you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And 12 is this number of completeness. And you have, in, Jesus chose 12 disciples. There's this, again, number of completeness and wholeness. And so it represents restoration and spiritual resurrection that God wants to do. And so it's setting up, I think, setting us as the reader, the reader from a Jewish background, it's setting that person up to go, oh, wonder what's going to happen next. I wonder what's going to reflect that idea of wholeness or that idea of restoration. How is this going to work out? That 12 is, is dropped as a little hint by, uh, by Mark as he kind of hooks us into the purpose of his, of his um, account. Now, there are definitely people out there that uh, take, I, I don't know if it's like numerology or something is the, the word for it, but people will scour the Bible for all these secret meanings of the numbers um, out there. And certainly there are meanings to it. I think we could take it too far. You know, the reality is about the story is it's never really actually explained why those numbers are there. But what we also need to understand is that just what you said, Ross, these are God's words, okay? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down for, for us and for, for everyone, you know, to, to understand God. And God's word is is deep. And, and you know, these things aren't in there haphazardly they all have meaning to them some more than others but 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 definitely we should pay attention like you said to to the number 12 i think as as you were just talking there and you actually referred to those verses it it occurred to me that this woman had been suffering for 12 years and this woman was and and then the girl is 12 years old what that means is, is that this woman's suffering had to have started 
right around the time that this girl was born, if you think about the sovereignty of God and just uh, how God was going to use these two two women in this story and, and, and how it was playing out in human history and time, they're, they're, they're almost connected. These two women are connected. They probably don't even know each other, but they're connected just at something um, significant started um, 12 years ago in their lives. One was born and that represented life and one started, started having a sickness, which represented death. And I, I, I believe that, you know, God um, in this, like you said, um, as we know, we know the end of the story that he heals, he heals both of them. Um, every time Jesus does a healing that we've seen up until now in, in Mark is, is a picture of what God is going to do. He's restoring a broken world. He's come to take care of sin. And, and as a result of the fall in sin, going way back to Genesis, death entered the world. And so Jesus resurrecting this girl um, points towards uh, one day, you know, first and foremost, Jesus has conquered sin and death, and 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 ultimately one day he's also going to resurrect as well, and and God wants to restore what sin has done to the world, and all of what we talked about that in the last point, that everything that makes us desperate, one day in the kingdom of God, when it's fully realized, uh, will not have all of those things, the sickness, the death. Revelation says no more uh, crying or sorrow or pain. There will be complete joy. There will be wholeness. There will be restoration. And I, I believe then we can, we can say that um, these, these numbers that represent God's kingdom, 12, um, also represent what his kingdom is going to look like and, and the healings that Jesus do Give us a glimpse of that. Okay. So parallel number one is desperation. Number two is the number 12. The third one is one that maybe people wouldn't have paid attention to the first time we read it. And it's that they're both referred to as daughters. Obviously, the little girl is in verse 23. But even in verse 34, when Jesus healed this woman, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. And so what are we making too much of this? What's the significance of this idea that Jesus is calling her a daughter? Well, here's the funny thing about this. Um, I was actually, you know, when we were talking about this uh, with some other pastors and I hadn't I didn't get a chance to fully explain it. I said, isn't it amazing that both of these women are daughters? And then somebody said, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Because the reality, and then it dawned on me that, I mean, if you are a woman, you have to be a daughter, right? Like if you are, if you were born into this world and you're a woman, you were a daughter, and and so it's just it was like this duh aha moment. Yes, they're they are both daughters, <laughs> but that that's not why we we wrote this down. I think what we're trying to get out here is is God is first labeling. Um, God is labeling the, the woman in suffering as, as his daughter, 
you know, as a daughter of the kingdom, as, as a daughter of Israel. This is, this is Jesus talking, and he calls her, her daughter, basically inviting her into the family, you know, which we'll see later when we talk about, when we talk about faith. So that's what's interesting. And then, yeah, the other thing is, is Jairus's daughter that, that Jesus goes on to um, eventually focus on. And, and again, that's another point is the fact that their daughters makes them, them women. Now, Ross, you can probably handle this, but this was, you know, pretty countercultural for Jesus, you know, in, to switch from what he's doing, all these things, the preaching and the, the miracles, and then all of a sudden Mark zeroes in on Jesus's care for these two women. Yeah, it is, it is noticeable in that cultural context, because, you know, women in Judaism, they, they, had a, they, were, they were honored in a sense as being children of God, like this woman that Jesus speaks to and invites her into this relationship, and they had an important place in society, but, but they didn't have the, the kind of leadership role or the sense of role, the role that they would attract attention of the rabbis and, and so forth. And so, so really, it's a countercultural thing for Jesus to focus on women. He would typically, as a, as a spiritual leader, he would typically focus on men, and not just all the men, but, but the leadership, the men who were leaders of the, of the community. And so, to me, it says, look... Um, this is this is how Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the the in, the God who enters humanity. What it was it like for God to live as a human being? He's gonna he's gonna know every person. Every person is known to him. Um, every person matters to him. Uh, nobody's just a face without a name. Nobody's just a face without a story. He doesn't just he doesn't call this woman. Um, in verse 34, he calls, daughter, your faith has made you well. He doesn't just say woman, which is, a, which is a term that would have been commonly used, speaking and addressing a woman. He doesn't say that impersonal term, woman, uh, your faith has made you well. He calls her daughter. He says, you know, you belong to God. You belong to Israel. You matter. You count. Uh, nobody's just um, a face without a story. Um, and so I, I think this shows us really Jesus... Um, elevating human beings that may not be elevated by members of society. It shows us something amazing about his compassion. Okay, so we have desperation. We have the number 12. We have the identification as daughters. And then this next one's a big one. And, and again, this is maybe one that modern listeners wouldn't even really know about, but this to me might even be at the front of Mark's mind or of Jesus' mind, or of the minds of the people who witness these healings. And it has to do with uncleanness. It has to do with ritual, the, rich, the Jewish rituals from the Old Testament, from Leviticus, and we're going to get into some of this. But, but the bottom line is this, that both the issue of blood that the woman had and the, and the death of the young girl would have meant ritual uncleanness. That would have meant that anyone touching the woman or the little girl would have been unclean, which we have to remember that this story is coming on the heels of the story of the demoniac, and this probably is something that Mark has in mind as, he, as he's writing this down. All three of these stories, it turns out, have to do with uncleanness, because remember, the demoniac was hanging out in the burial caves, and so he was unclean, and yet Jesus 
interacted with him and Jesus healed him. And now, he, now we have two more unclean situations and Jesus isn't afraid of it. Walk us through this. Yeah, well, kind of like what you had said, I want to pull up some some verses, you know, from Leviticus, you know, chapter 15, 19. I'm going to read this to you. Whenever a woman has her menstrual period, she will be ceremonial unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Okay. And then to deal with the death, Numbers 19.11, all those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And so we see, we've seen Jesus uh, do this before. He did it with the leper. Um, he did it with the leper in, in, in chapter one. He reached out and touched him, and, and, and the leper would have been unclean. And, but we see Jesus, um, he's not breaking the law because the thing about Jesus being able to touch a person and heal them is that the sin or the uncleanness cannot transfer to God God has the power to take it away without the transfer of uncleanness coming on on him, right? There's there's a lot of other probably theological things we could get into with that, but really I just want to point out Jesus healed both of these women with a touch, which is interesting. Mark 5:41. It said Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, get up. And so while she was laying there in the bed, he grabbed her by the hand um, and, and, and took away her uncleanness with a touch. Again, with the woman, she actually touched him. And so, you know, going back to the desperation of she, she knew, she knew that uh, she shouldn't, or this, this may make a regular person unclean if she was to go up and touch him, but she was so desperate. She was, she was willing to go outside of the, the cultural or the, the religious the laws at the time. And, you know, Jesus perceives that power went out of him when she, she touched his robe. And when she did, she was healed, and she, and she knew it. And that's 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 really the interesting thing about this, this, the similarities of Jesus taking away the uncleanness of both of them with a touch. Again, I really think it goes back to his, his God's desire to be not just this, this God who many people f- probably feel like he is, is he's this distant... God who is impersonal and he maybe he wound up the world and and spun it and 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 got the universe going and he created everything and now he sits back and watches to see well what are they going to do and how are they going to act and will they follow me uh, or not will they do the things I said you know Jesus coming into the world shows that God is a very personal God, not an impersonal God, and let alone him coming into the world and then breaking past these, these what, are, what are perceived barriers to literally come close enough in an intimate way to, to touch those in whom he loves. Again, it just shows how personal our God really is in the face and the touch of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a great point, Eric. I appreciate that a lot. Let me just add this one element, I think, to help people understand what's going on here, is that the idea of uncleanness, 
it seems like in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament law, God set up uh, um, a, a number of practical illustrations of human sin, of human fallenness. Now, one of them was bleeding. One of them was death. There, now, there's nothing sinful about this woman having a bleeding issue. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing sinful about this this girl's death necessarily. But it becomes something from the physical world that that points to a spiritual reality. This saying that we're all affected by by sin. We're all affected by spiritual death as well as physical death. And so it became a way that God said, I'm gonna I'm gonna build into the life and the culture of these people these everyday reminders that they have got to get right with me. They've got to be right with me. And 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 so you know what this created was as a situation where people I think were hesitant to approach God and were distant from God. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, look, yes, yeah, sin is a real issue, and being, being out on the outside of God is a real important issue, but I've got the solution. I'm the answer. God has sent me in my person to be the, the way that you can overcome this, this whole um, picture of the spiritual reality of humanity. And so it's really fascinating to see that Jesus is not affected, like you said, he's not affected by um, the uncleanness of someone else. He, he, he doesn't take it into himself. And so, because it shows who he is, who God is, and what God is willing to do, and what God wants to do for his people to be in relationship with him. And so, I think that might help our, our listeners to understand kind of what the issue here is, that, you know, this woman is not sinful in herself because she's got a bleeding problem, but her bleeding problem could reflect a, the, the, the reality of a spiritual condition that affects everybody whether they have a physical problem or not. And yeah, that's think, why, you know, we're looking at it like this. And I think it's good for, for readers to understand, you know, you might read, uh, right now I'm reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And whenever I read Leviticus, Deuteronomy, sometimes in my modern mind, it's hard to understand. But Ross, when you were sharing that, it was, that's a good reminder to us that God, the author of this story, knew the beginning from the end. So he had even these stories in mind when he wrote Leviticus 15, and when he wrote, wrote Numbers 19. So I think it would be wrong for us as modern readers to look at this only through the lens of the Old Testament. I think we need to look at, it, look at it through the lens of the entire Bible and remember that Jesus fulfills the law. And so one of the reasons for this ceremonial um, uncleanliness and for God to point that out you know, aside from what you said, Ross, is because because God wanted us to know that the solution was in Jesus and only in Jesus. And so for, for generations, a woman like this would have been a pariah in her culture, in her society. And, and yet Jesus, now this is, I think, one of the reasons Jesus calls her out in the crowd. He knew, he knew that power went out from him, but he could have just kept going on his way. He certainly knew that someone had been healed. He could have just ignored it and kept going, but he didn't. He called her out, and that wasn't to embarrass her. That wasn't to, uh, to uh, because he was curious. He did that because he wanted to validate her healing and therefore her restoration to society, because, because now the rest of the people who were there who probably knew her story could know that she truly was healed the great physician himself called it out right in front of everybody. This is a, a good place 
where I think we need to insert the gospel because the reality is about, you know, the uncleanness of these, these two situations and, and what we've looked at and in the Old Testament, well, the Old Testament law, we knew, we know, you know, that the Bible uh, later in the New Testament reveals to us that the law is, is like a mirror for us to hold up and up to ourselves and see where we really just don't measure up, where the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of all of humanity's sin, we are all these two women. We are all unclean. We, 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 none of us can, can have a right standing and right relationship with God. There's, there's brokenness where we're alone and, and, and without hope. But as you said, Jesus then is the solution to that problem of our, our uncleanness, our sin before God. And the only way to be clean, the Bible says, to be washed and clean is by the, the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When he came, he came and he spilled his blood and he died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And in that relationship that was broken with God uh, many thousands of years ago when God first created things in, in, in the Garden of Eden between with Adam and Eve, um, which, which passed down this, this uncleanness, that, this disease of sin that we all inherit, and we continue, to, we continue to rebel against God. But Jesus, ultimately what Mark is getting at, I mean, what we'll eventually get to, is that Jesus is the one who has come to restore that relationship. We've used that word restoration um, a couple of times as we've been talking through this point. He's because we've got we've caught a glimpse of who he is. He's the one, the only one who can restore humanity back to God to have that intimate relationship, which we were created for, but we have to trust in Jesus to do that. Yeah, and here's the problem. It strikes me that we live in a society today that's almost the polar opposite of the society that this woman lived in. She was painfully aware of her uncleanliness, and all of the people were as well. And we live in a society where nobody's aware of their uncleanliness. Nobody, nobody admits sinfulness. It's almost like there's no sin anymore. Just do whatever you want. Everyone, it's, it's crazy to me how sinful our society is, and yet the word sin isn't even really recognized. It's not, I remember my son, when he was little, his, his buddy, his friend, his next door neighbor, didn't even know what the word meant. And I think that's, that's our culture today. So the problem in our culture today is the opposite of the problem here. This woman was painfully aware of her pariah status, and so she was desperate for a healing and to our listeners today, if you're out there and you're not aware of your uncleanliness, if you're not aware of your brokenness and your need for a savior and your need for healing and for purification, then you're not even going to seek it out. And so I encourage you just even, Eric, as you shared the gospel, that really the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus starts with the bad news. And the bad news is that we're all broken, that we're all sinful, and, and we all need a healing like, like both of these like both of these daughters had. 
in the story. And here's how that healing happens. It's our fifth and final parallel in these last two. So we've, we've talked about desperation. We've talked about the number 12. We've talked about the fact that these are daughters and that there's this ceremonial uncleanness involved in this. But finally, and this is so simple and so important, but we have to point it out, it's that both the woman and the father had faith. And so both healings came as a result of faith. What, Ross, walk us through what exactly does that mean? Yeah, that's a great question because there's a lot of mistaken thinking in our culture about what faith is. Faith means, I mean, to a lot of people, it means, it means working up an emotion of some kind. And, but biblically, the word faith just mean, means to believe something, to have a conviction of the truth of something. But more than that, it means to trust someone. So faith is, is really a response to a person. To a person's faithfulness, then their faithfulness calls for faith on my part. And so, really, biblically, it's, it's designed to, to trust God, to trust that God exists, that He's a provider, that He's the ruler of all things, to trust that, in this case, that Jesus is God's appointed Savior, that Jesus, uh, that, that Jesus does what God wants Him to do um, in the lives of people who encounter Him. And so what's, what's beneath this is, is, is really a, a sense of understanding or trusting who Jesus is. And that's what we see in both these characters. We see different um, expressions of faith that are expressed by the Father and by the woman in their situation. So it's not belief or trust against the facts, but because of the facts, because of who that person is that, and, and what's really true about him. And so um, we're going to examine what we learn from different people in the story about who Jesus is and why he is worthy of being trusted as we look at these two women and their response to him. Yeah, we've, we talked about the desperation of, of Jairus um, enough to uh, maybe even take on some, some persecution or to be you know, outcasted from his, his culture, or from his, his Jewish traditions. He went against his tr tr Jewish traditions and had enough faith to believe that Jesus ultimately had the power to do only what God could do, which is to, to miraculously heal. Um, and, and then later, when, when, when his servants come back and say, well, she's dead, don't trouble the teacher anymore. Jesus proves that not only can he do a physical healing to a live person, but that he can do, again, only what God could do would be bring someone back from the dead. It reminds me of, um, uh, and, and again, with the woman's healing, she had enough faith to do something about it. You know, James, James says faith without works is dead. And, and what does he mean by that? He means that real faith works. Real faith does something. Real faith is, is proven by um, how far you're willing to go and what things you're willing to give up. I mean, uh, and it's not just faith. It's, you know, many times in the book of Mark, we've seen this, these, these things that go hand in hand. It's repent and believe. To, to turn from your sin, to turn from what, to change your mind about what you believe to be true and believe the truths about God instead. That's what repenting and believing is. But 
these stories actually remind me of another verse or set of verses in Hebrews where it says that, uh, you know, it's impossible to please God without faith. And then it goes on to say that, that we must also believe that God uh, is a rewarder for those who diligently seek him. He certainly rewarded the faith of these two, of, of Jairus. He was, he was relentless in getting his daughter help, and he was... And then the woman was, again, relentless and desperate to come to Jesus. They both had faith, and they were certainly rewarded, not just with physical healings, but from what we hear from the language, like, we've, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in, go in peace. Your suffering is over. And, you know, what he does with the little girl is not only were they just physically healed, but I believe that these were also signs of a start of their new life, a transformation of saving faith that will put them in a right relationship with God forever. When, when, when this girl grows up, this isn't a real, um, you know, the resurrection that's talked about in the Bible that all people will get one day, all those who believe in him. This was a, a temporary Again, a temporary sign of God's goodness and mercy. But she was she was resurrected, but she she didn't wasn't resurrected to eternal life here. Um, that will happen later. But spiritually, spiritually she was, and so when she dies again physically, I believe she's in heaven with God. Yeah, and I have to clarify one more thing here. You know, some people might read that verse where it says go, you know, woman, your faith has healed you. And I think just the general audience out there who they, maybe if you don't really understand the Bible, you might think that it's the woman's faith that was the power at work. It wasn't actually the woman's faith. It was the object of the faith. It was her faith in Jesus. And so I, I think we as we wrap up this story and these two parallel stories, it all points us back to Jesus. It points us to, to Jesus who, who can handle our desperate situation. It, it points us to, to Jesus who, who does, you know, reestablish a covenant with us, that number 12. It points us to Jesus who cares about women, even though that was countercultural and in his day. He cares about all people, men and women, boys and girls, because we're all made in the image of God. That Jesus has the authority and the power to overcome the, the uncleanliness of not only a blood disease, but even, but even of death itself. And then finally, that Jesus is the power behind these two healings, that it's faith in Jesus, that the, because the object of your faith matters. It's not just how much faith you have. It's equally important who that faith is in. And if your faith is in the wrong thing, then your faith is useless. But if your faith is in Jesus, who we're continuing to learn about in every single episode as we study the Gospel of Mark, if your faith is in Jesus, then that faith can, can really make a difference. And this is what we're, really, we're learning in these two stories. Ross, I'll let you have the last word on this. And so what we've seen today, we've seen about who Jesus is. 
We've seen how he knows us intimately. We've seen how he cares about our practical needs, about our fears, about our sorrows, about our relationship with God. We've seen that he wants us to know him and trust him. We've seen that he is trustworthy, that he has power over sin and disease and death, and that he'll meet us at the point of the greatest need in our life. And so maybe today, uh, you listeners, maybe you need to bring your need to Jesus today. Or maybe there's somebody out there you know who needs to hear about him for their needs in, in their life and they need you to tell them, tell them who Jesus is. They can trust in him. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.